box is a rockin'. Oh yeah, please come a knockin'. The CBS Sports Box AO Pod is back and it's better than ever. Juiced up to the gills with another lethal dose of that performance enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell. Yeah, that's me. The voice that you hear. Just about ready though to tag in Big Red. Share the love. Touch them feels. I like you. I like sex. It's nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. And speaking of you, the listeners, wanted to thank many of you for taking the time to hit up Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume fine audio and letting your voice be heard on the audio revolution there with a five-star review. Hey, maybe drop a little sentence in there. Are you Team Rafe? Whatever you got to do. We love it. We love to hear from you. I love you. I make you a okay. Okay, 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 Teddy. But with the business behind us, you guys know what you want. You want the meat. You don't want the bread. You want the middle part. All right. We got a great show for you. Looking back at the week that was in the sport, including big wins from the likes of Vasily Lomachenko, the pound for pound king, and some guy who may have next, Teo Fimo Lopez Jr. The takeover continues. We also going to have to deal with the fall of two big Boxing icons that mean a lot to the show. The death of HBO Boxing after 45 freaking years. And the fall of Dog Bay. Hello, Grandpa. How are you doing? Your son, the Royal Storm. Yes, Royal Storm. So sorry to hear that. We'll have to get Rafe Books to commiserate with him in a second. Uh, we're also going to preview the action to come this weekend. Kind of a weird weekend, but we got Canelo Alvarez getting back into zone for the first time ever. You know what the zone is, right? Zone. And Eddie Hearn and these guys have a plan to build a platform. They're luring people like Canelo to the platform and stuff like that. Yeah, that platform will be loaded. Thank you, Dwyer. Thank you. Hi, it's Dwyer. Yes, it is you, Dwyer. He'll be a part of our show as well. Hey, we're also going to chat with the directors of Tuesday night's 30 for 30 on ESPN that you're going to have to see entitled 42 to 1. It's the story of Buster Douglas, Mike Tyson, the biggest upset in what? Boxing history, heavyweight history, sports history, wherever you want to go with that. We got the co-directors, Ben Hauser, Jeremy Schapp, to stop by and tell you about it. But now, now that it's all behind us, let's just get into it. You know him. You love him. Rafe Bugs. Let, let them lick you up. Let me lick you up. You up. Let, me let me lick you down. Not hard, baby. One shot, big K.O., it's time. Wow, all right, one shot. Hey, Rafe Bartholomew, the, 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 the renowned editor and, uh, and, uh, and yeah, all that good stuff. Uh, how's Eater, or did you just meet her? I'm eating all day, all the time. I'm putting, I'm packing on the pounds. I'm trying to get up to 245 like my guy oh, wow. Deontay Wilder for this rematch. I eat steak every day. Oh, wow. Wow. All right. Hey, Rafe, um, a lot of crazy stuff happened this week in the week that was in box. We're going to get to that in two seconds. Uh, you got to sell, you got to sell anything in the meantime? You got any, uh, books or anything? Uh, TV shows? I sell, I sell books every day. I respect books. Uh, <laughs> I have, uh, I guess, yeah, it's, it's the holiday season. Get in the spirit. Buy some books. Buy Basketball Love Story. Buy Two and Two, McSorley's My Dad and Me, which came out last year. You can still find it. If you're in New York, come to the bar. We sell it there. Cash. It's signed. You can talk to my pops. Uh, it's, you get the full experience. Brian actually got to meet some of the characters in the book, but let's stop selling, man. Come no, on. Let keep me selling. Get, I want the meat. I saw Johnny Wad. I almost touched the Wad. You know what I mean? It was great. It was great. 
All right. Hey, uh, time for the meet here. Let's get into it. It started last weekend. Saturday night, ESPN post-Heisman, Rafe. We got a, a pretty damn good uh, triple header there on, on top-ranked ESPN that took over the uh, the night. And it was Vasily Lomachenko, your pound-for-pound pound king, unifying lightweight titles and scoring a unanimous decision over sniper Jose Pedraza. I did not get to watch this live. Look, it was UFC night, all right? UFC 231, Max Holloway, I know you don't care. I did went back and rewatched it this morning. It's a fun ch- fun ass chess match. I I didn't see that on Twitter live. I didn't read that in people's recaps. What I saw, fun ass chess match, you? Damn right, fun ass chess match. I was sitting there thinking I was feeling the feels for you. I feel like after a couple after all of our years of podcasting together, Brian, our feel spots are connected. They are we are we have twin feel spots now and I can beam them to you. And I was sitting there thinking, "Ma'am, BC would love this. This is high-speed chess and the way that Jose Pedraza fought well and gave Vasily Lomachenko some new wrinkles to deal with that we don't really get to see him figure out all the time when he's just dominating other opponents made it even more fun to watch. I felt like even though it was a harder fight for Lomachenko that I got to see more of that full, that full toolbox that he brings to the, to to, to the fights. It was really cool. It was, it was look, I, I, this was again, another dazzling performance from your pound for pound King Vasily Lomachenko doing the wizardry, the craft, all that stuff that we've become accustomed to. But you know what? He had to do that stuff to win this fight. And I know ultimately the scores were fairly wide because they were fairly wide for a reason, though. Pedraza came to fight, came with a game plan, came with his own magic. A lot of came. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I came too, Brian. Yeah, I came to that since we're guarded. Yeah, Eddie, we got the horny exclusive right here. There was a lot of that gross stuff, but you know what? There were a lot of really close rounds in which Pedraza made Loma fight and Loma's craft was just a tiny bit better. This was one hell of an advertisement for how good of a fighter Jose Pedraza actually is. Rafe, nobody goes in there and tries to out Loma Loma. And that's kind of what Sniper did. And his constant of switching stances... The, 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 all the wrinkles, he had an act, almost a Tyson Fury like active guard. There were a lot of things going on in there. And while it wasn't enough to win a lot of rounds, it wasn't enough to win the fight, it was enough to bring out the best in Lomachenko. And along the way, he effed around and messed up Lomachenko's face a little bit too. I, I think it was brilliant. His counter punching, I don't know if you, if you could really pick this up. So Pedraza's doing a lot of the circus wild stuff that Loma's doing, movement, hands going in different directions. But all of his punches were crisp, tight counters down the pipe. It was almost like he's watching a moving thing across from dart and left to right, and he's just trying to time when Loma would be in the middle. And he really landed a lot of clean shots that made Loma sort of have to dial up those highlight reel, let me duck your punch and hit you with the overhand left really hard moments. I think two fights into lightweight, here's what we learned. Lomachenko's the best in the division and the best in the world. Yes, I want to see him against Mikey just as much as he wants to. But there's a ceiling at 135, and he's found it. And that that ceiling means is he doesn't have the power to blow guys away. He's got to do it that accumulation way. And he's always going to be vulnerable to smart guys who can punch accurately and punch with a little bit of pop. And that's what Pedraza was. And no, Loma never got into a vulnerable spot. But at the same time, he had to be on his A game the whole damn fight. Am I making any sense here? 
No, you look. You you saw the same fight that I saw. I mean, we are we are hearing Jimmy right now, Brian. And I yeah, I felt the same way. And I think that one thing that uh, Pedraza seemed to discover pretty early on in the fight, maybe three or four rounds in, was that because he could take single shots, even clean, very strong single shots from Lomachenko, he could almost just sit down, bite on those, and then fire back. And it's it's catching and shooting, not on the gloves, but on his face. Now, oh, you know, he God. paid for that in the end. Oh, wow, oh, 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 He's saying oh. that he, he teased that bag, he played with oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of fun with the bag. Yeah, 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 wow, yeah. Well, but what I'm saying is there were, he sort of, and this is, you're talking, and it, that sort of brings up the ceiling for Lomachenko at this weight where he, probably is a little bit undersized. His ideal weight probably is something like 130 or even featherweight, 126. But he's so great that he's able to dominate a, a fight against a guy fighting the really probably the fight of his life to at this point in his career in Jose Pedraza and given him so much length and movement and and uh, sort of a size disadvantage to 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 un, uh, to 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 unwrap to solve that riddle and it was beautiful watching him figure out and it was also cool to see a guy come in and compete straight up and and it wasn't really until Loma took over late in the fight and you saw I mean just imagine how tired you get responding oh, yeah. to everything that Lomachenko throws at you and it caught up. I mean that eleventh round. Oh my God! Talk to me about that, Brian. Does Vasily Lomachenko? understand what <laughs> load watch is does this man he he blows no loads i mean somebody oh my god wow let me let me just uh come on let me let me put some water on your ball he had about an 87 punch combination to twice floor pedraza but it was like you're waiting for that that moment that that like like you so eloquently said you're waiting for the but you can't you can't make him do that no he actually didn't bernard that's that's what makes this crazy you know okay jim we got it but like i was almost on like not necessarily like oh my god look at this but i was feeling like at the very least that we're watching magic i think that's magic i dwyer i'm with you on that that's dwyer right uh, it's dwyer. yeah it's dwyer all right i'm with you on that dwyer rafe we were watching absolute magic and it was because pedraza made him do it and i don't want to hear just like i don't want to hear any slander loma on my set no loma slander on my timeline whatsoever the guy is the best in the world and guess what? He got pushed by a guy who had a pretty damn awesome game plan and made him have to be the best in the world. And that was fun to watch. I, it's weird when you don't watch a fight live. You you pick up weird narratives online. People going, eh, you know, maybe – no, nothing. All right? Loma's friggin' amazing. And damn, he got pushed in this fight. And in the end, if your scorecard was somehow 10-2, well, you know what? Loma won a lot of close rounds. Yeah. Let me ask you a, a – a... Sniper Pedraza question, Brian. What the hell happened with him against Javante Davis? Where was know. that guy we saw Saturday? Did he grow from that fight where he came in and fought kind of foolishly, basically going straight up machismo with Javante saying, give me your best shot? Uh, or, or did he learn from it? What the, what the, what, why did, why wasn't that guy there a couple years ago? He's sort of been inconsistent in his run. There was a win that was on Showtime. I believe it wasn't the Edner Cherry fight. At some point in his rise at 130, I remember watching a fight and going, Oh my God, Pedraza is one of the 10 best fighters in this whole world. Like he's amazing. And then he came out that next time and laid an absolute egg. 
I think he's just one of those inconsistent dudes. His balls got a little too big for him against Gervonta, and he came out to try to slug. But you saw on this night, the craft is real. The hair is out of control, but the craft is real, Rafe. This guy's fun to watch. This was a loss, but you know what we said coming in? I said it. I said, okay, yeah, good fight, whatever. But can Pedraza... Linares him. Can he be Linares? Can he be as good as Linares was in that fight? Rafe, he nearly was in different ways. And I gotta give him that credit. Because I saw a lot of people with bad takes this week. A lot of them were, were sort of the casuals, but they were sort of like, oh, Pedraza, who the hell is that? There's another, uh, Loma walkthrough, right? Like another, no, I'm like, no, this is a unification fight with a guy who used to be a champion in another division and is pretty damn good. Uh, you know, and guess what? You saw that. I want to see more Pedraza against everyone, Rafe. I love me some Jose Sniper Pedraza. I'll say it now. Uh, absolutely. So that's the exit story that, yeah, we want to see more Pedraza. But the exit story on Loma is that he's calling out Mikey like crazy now. He's saying, I'm not you know, going in any direction but at you, Mikey. I know you got Errol Spence coming up. I know a lot of people have a certain opinion of how that Errol Spence fight is ultimately going to end when you move up to Walter Waite. Errol Spence by murder. Okay, but he says, when you come back, I'm going to be waiting for you. Rafe? I don't even care if it would come after a Errol Spence knockout. And I don't even know if I'm picking Spence to knock Mikey out. I'm not even there yet. Okay, that's March. But win or lose in that, Loma Mikey at 135 is uh, – it, it's a uh, – You want to – do we want to call it the best fight in boxing that can be made? It, it's not a stretch you know there. I'm of, sure there – we sit down and think we could come up with some other good answers, but that's damn close. You know what day that – when that happens, that fight day, you know what day that would be for me? It's a hard on day for me today. Yeah, absolutely. That that's a hard on day. That's a that's a hold my calls. Hold hold this too. Hold everything on me. Just hold, I mean, Rafe, that day is going to be I mean, look, that's the guy who can be you, people want to say, "Okay, I'm I'm a little bored with Loma." So I got some of that on my timeline. Bored with Loma? What is wrong with you? But if you are, if you can't hear Jimmy and you're somehow bored of Loma, the the Mikey fight is the boss at the end of the video game cuz that's a guy with craft, patience, timing, and big-time power for 135. Wreck your life power. Kill Zatzalakan Zlatikanin power. Uh, Dejan Zlatichinin. How dare you, Dejan Zlatichinin. Zlatichinin. Zlatikanin. Yeah, uh, Jeff Horn. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying that I love me some Loma. I love that performance on Saturday. And when he fights, Mike, oh, my God, Rafe. It's a hard-on day, Brian. Yeah, when that fight, I guess that, and of course the Crawford Spence, the two fights we're never going to see. Uh, on, I hope that's not true of Loma and Mikey, but uh, those are the two best fights in boxing, and it seems that Lomachenko and Garcia is closer to happening, assuming that Errol Spence by murder is not a literal outcome of that fight next year. Um, Wait, where are you? Just ten seconds on that. Ten yeah, seconds. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to predict or anything, but like uh, Nigel Collins, who I respect and love, the Hall of Famer from ESPN. Has been tweeting a bunch of times lately, like the whole idea of like you guys just assuming Mikey's going to get murdered. Like, wake up! People have made this leap before. Here's a credible, smart fighter. Are you on the camp right now where that's going to be a close fight, or are you on the camp right now where where we're still like Mikey bad choice? I'm not. I, I'm. I no. I, I don't seriously think it's Mikey. By Mikey will lose by murder or get out like badly beaten, but. I do think he's going to lose. I don't think that there that, that he can overcome that size advantage, that, the, the size disadvantage he's going to face in that fight. This is not, this ain't this ain't dead Oscar. You know, this is not this ain't Birdo. This is the the biggest 
most dangerous. Is it the raw dog? Roughest. This is the raw dog. This is Errol Spence. You facing the real one. This is what I asked. This is what you're going to get. You're going to get this. That's what I want. The real dog. The raw dog. Yeah, yeah, he got that. Like, what happens when Mikey goes in there and does what he sees? You know, he sees something in Errol Spence. He thinks, I can land on this guy. He's probably right. What happens when he does that? And, and Errol Spence, who basically walked through six good rounds from Kell Brook when he was fighting at a high level, another big, strong welterweight. Errol Spence walks through that. What What's Mikey's plan B at that point? What's he going to do That's to win fair. that fight? That's a fair. I just wanted to get a pulse. I wanted to check your pulse. I want to get my hands on you. Find out where you oh, are. Oh, the right blood now. is pumping. It's damn near throbbing, Brian. Uh, I want to, but so so let's wow, let's look. Really let's close. talk about. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about this. Mikey mythical... anything right now too? I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, <laughs> all it's all about it's all about the lube, man. All right, all right, all right, right. <laughs> Brian. Um, what about the Mikey Garcia, if he gets to fighting Lomachenko at some point in, say, 2020, is going to be a popular upset pick, right? It won't be a huge upset, but that'll be up there, especially based off this fight, the way that Pedraza's size was a factor and that he was able to land at points and marked up. That was That's the thing. It didn't even seem like Pedraza was landing much cleanly, but he marked up Loma like we've never seen before. Oh, yeah, he did. And we know that Mikey has serious power at 135, so it's, he's going to be a popular choice. Do you are you on the fence? Are you starting to move over to that? Mikey might just be too big and too good for a great fighter who isn't a natural lightweight. I would have picked Mikey a year ago. I would want to pick Mikey next year. I will pick Mikey today if they fight. 135 weight category. Mikey will beat Loma. Wow. So you're saying Mikey Garcia is not just a good 135 fighter. He's not a very good 13 fighter. He is a historic 135 weight category. Yes, yes. I don't look at that fight as a mismatch or anything. I look at it as the best fight you can make. But, yes, I would favor Mikey to win that fight. But, you know, he may – look, as much as Pedraza and Linares and back-to-back fights made Loma have to be spectacular – I wonder what Mikey's power would do. Would we see a different kind of Loma? Would we see, like, surfboard on top of the van, like in the movie Teen Wolf Loma, who's just going to have to live on the edge of craziness to pull that fight off? I mean, I just want to see that so bad, Rafe. Damn, that's a good fight. Damn. Al Heyman the GOAT. Well, I hope so. Somebody better do some goat-like things to make that fight happen. We do. I kind of suspect that Mikey has such a grudge against Top rank and Bob Arum over however that ugly breakup went and the couple of years he lost off his career that he does not want to work with them. But bury the hatchet, guys, because because that is what that's the fight the sport needs. Yes, we need you. Thank you. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, so Loma's still my pound for pound king. Is he number one for you? I know you're riding the Bud train a lot. Yeah, I, th- I you know, I, 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 Brian, I don't know, man. They're both so great. I, I, 
I favor the American. I favor the American. I think Bud Crawford <laughs> is my number one. Um, but God, I can't, I can't argue against Loma. I can't argue, even the people who like Inoue, if he comes out at the end of this year looking like a million bucks in the, in the Bantamweight tournament, uh, WBSS. I, I'm not, I'm not a guy who judges people on their, on their top 10 albums or their top 10 pound for pound list. You know, that is a matter of taste and it's all subjective. And for, but yeah, for me, ringer, it's, it's Bud, man. That, Bud right? is cut from a different cloth. He's Alexander. He's Jack Dempsey. He, it's, he, there's something different about that guy. Right. Terrence Crawford, quite frankly, is a guy who's a bad man who thinks he is the B-E-S-T at 147 pounds. And I got news for the Americans of the world. Many people. Many. 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 Wow. Dwyer, he, I, he said, he, he, I, I agree with Dwyer and I agree with <laughs> Terrence Crawford. God, he's such a crap I think he guy. is the B-E-S-T, Brian. Oh, my God. I know I sound like a crackpot. Not the first time. Yes, that's my guy right there. We got more Dwyer to come. I got to jump on Dwyer in a minute here and get get. I got to call him out. All right, uh, co-main event. Uh, Rafe, I'm sorry. Oh. Your boy, my boy, the sneaky fighter of the year contender, <sighs> one twenty two title holder, Isaac Dogbay, admitted after the bout that he took this fight too lightly. He underestimated Carlos Navarrete, and what we saw was a brutal twelve round fight in which Navarrete turns. Dog Bay's eyes into into damn near balls. I mean, it was like it, he was trying to rock on those eyes into like. Uh, oh. I mean, it was a gutsy, manly win for Navarrete. The taller fighter uses jab, and then at times when they had to fight, he basically came out there and basically said this: "I am more man. I have bigger huevos, and he has longer arms, and that held a lot in this fight." Rafe, your thoughts on Isaac Dog Bay? It was not a what a night kind of night for Ghana boxing, Brian. Um, yeah. But it, it was sad, man. It was sad. Uh, but at what the happened? same time, look, Wait, what we happened? knew what happened? we knew that Isaac Dogbay did not look like a flawless boxer. The idea that he could be a really, really sort of high level elite fringe pound for pound guy in the future was based on the possibility that he was physically something different, that he was just energy wise, strength wise, power wise, and desire wise. One of those guys who just fights different. You can't like you, the un, un, irrepressible. And we got our answer to that. He's not all of those things. He didn't, doesn't really respond well when he gets hurt he, he didn't really know what to do when Navarrete started hurting him. And once Navarrete figured out how to, how to do that, and, and that basically he could, you know, the, those sort of looping left hooks and that uppercut that, that Doug Bay kept running into and using the length, it was a rough night. Uh, so we got some answers about the, the ceiling of Isaac Doug Bay is a, a good fun fighter. Um, but man, it, it was, it was rough, yo. It was rough. And there were, you know, the, he had, he had people in the crowd, you know, he brought, he brought the Ghanaian contingent out and they screaming, no, like the entire, like all the way to the 12th round. And, you know, it, it, it was a, it was rough. It was a little scary too. It was one of those, 
he was showing so much courage to get through it, yes. but was so out of the fight and his face was clearly beat up. And maybe, maybe I wouldn't be surprised if we learn later this week that there might have been an orbital fracture or something along those lines because the, also the way he fought around the third or fourth round, all of a sudden dog bay, like the life drained out of him. And I wonder if, if he had some kind of injury that of course he didn't, he hasn't mentioned, he hasn't make any excuses, but just looked like something changed there. And he, he was in almost survival mode, except for that couple of rounds where Navarrete had a hand injury and he took a couple of rounds off in the middle of the fight, I guess, until his right hand numbed up and he was able to start throwing it again and took over the fight. Uh, pretty brutal well, stuff. I, I don't think know. He was listening to Dean. He should just harden up, like seriously, bang it full of quarters and get on with it. He did, and he won the fight. Uh, it's tough to see a guy that we had built up take a loss. Obviously, that's boxing. How he responds from that will be huge. But this is a guy who just signed with Top Rank. Said he was wants to win titles in what, like nineteen divisions. He came on this show and was like, "Yeah, I'm just gonna keep moving up and knocking people out and winning championships." This was a humbler, Rafe, and in the same ring, you don't want to say it out loud, but you have to. In light of what happened to Donna Stevenson a week ago, in the same ring is where Magudev, Magomed Abdusalamov. <laughs> how dare you? How dare you laugh at that? You, you boxes is Magomed Abdusalamov. Uh, that's all. I'm, yeah, no, I mean it was hard to avoid that thought. On Saturday night, because I was there that night. That was Golovkin Stevens, the undercard, Perez and, and Magomed. And, and it, it was hard to avoid those kind of vibes watching that fight. And people were impressed. Roe were calling out, you know, Benji to Benji Estevez, the referee. Please stop it. Even though there wasn't a great moment, it's just one of those things where you didn't want to see a guy get beat up so badly over such a long stretch of rounds. Uh, but hope it sounds like so far there's been no bad news and, and everyone knock on wood and, and wish them all the best. And I look, I wouldn't even, it, it, it sounds terrible. It sounds horrible, Brian. Oh, how dare but you. man, I, I, we could even see some Nassim calls for, for the Royal storm. What? I know this sounds terrible. <laughs> I think he should finish. He should retire? He shouldn't. He doesn't have, I'm not saying like no, it's too a harsh. danger, but still, he's a young guy in college, smart, come, not, doesn't, doesn't, he's one of these guys, sounds like he, he didn't grow up as tough as this typical boxing story. He's just a, a great athlete and a tough as nails little fighter and, and fun to watch. But shoot, I, if, after a, 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 a fight like that, you kind of want to just say, hey, man, you know, you got so much else going for you. Go do that. Wow. I'm young, but I don't think I deserve to be, you know, getting beat up like this. So. Wow, Rafe. I didn't see that audio. I, I was ready to match make and uh, do uh, Rico Dog Bay next. You know, that was me for the 122 <laughs> title. But, uh... No, I mean, look, maybe he's got so much muscle on him. Maybe he could get down to 118 where he won't face as some of those height and reach problems and that would be interesting i'm shocked Although, one loss you're ready to tell him to a retire or b go down and wait that loss change that kind of loss changes careers sometimes right anyway, i'm not gonna lie it was brutal those last few rounds i'm like okay i know he's out of it i know that he needs a knockout and i know they're banking on that he's gonna summon you know the demon inside and find this knockout but man he's taking flush shots repeatedly tough to see there hey but you know who didn't wait around long enough to have that happen to him. 
rock hard mighty in the opener mason maynard can we is that can we just his trunk said rock hard on them are you kidding that's amazing can we just have a moment here for rock hard mighty like i mean this is a I'm, guy after our own hearts here right i mean and and it did and one minute into the fight he was uh he was stiff at least in the legs oh wow <laughs> Wow. Um, yeah. Teofimo Lopez Jr., the unbeaten lightweight prospect from New York. Man, the takeover's real. He backs it up at this level of opponents with these spectacular knockouts. Rafe, he had hurt Maynard with a couple power shots and then that right hand. You don't see a prettier knockout than that. Face first. And as the great Ferdy Pacheco used to say, when they fall face first, there's no need to count, Rafe. He was out cold. Cold, brother. Uh, hey, this is just another like, come, come notice me. It's Teo. He's real. Thank you, corner man. We, we, we unearthed him early in the process on this show to say, hey, people, check this dude out. He's for real. Uh, I, I don't know how we went from on Saturday night. You, you tell me you were there. By the way, we didn't, we didn't fully explain. You were there. You were in the building Saturday night ringside covering that fight. How did we escalate from damn, that's a great knockout. Teo's great. I can't wait to see him again. To is he ready for Loma? How did that happen? What? What? Who's? Who did that? No. Well, I can explain it. I don't know that I agree, but it was the narrative of the night. The story of the main event was that Lomachenko was struggling a little bit. Re- obviously, this is all relatively speaking. To my eyes, he wasn't. Str- I thought he was fighting a great fight against an opponent who really came with a good game plan and some physical advantages that he used well. Uh, but still, the, the narrative was that, oh, Loma is struggling. Maybe he's slipping a little. Maybe age is catching up with him. Is Loma flat? Is this an off night? I, I, I didn't really feel those that as strongly as a lot of people did, but if that happens on the same night as a prospect in his division wins on a spectacular, amazing one shot knockout in a, like less than a minute. Good. It's natural. And Lopez has been calling out Lomachenko. He wants, he does, he, he thinks he's the BEST and he wants that as soon as possible. Now, is it a good idea? I don't think so, but you never know. It's not the, the thing that is kind of interesting is that he, they can actually, I could see that fight gaining some momentum now for later in 2019. Too early, bro. It's too early for sure. I agree. But if they don't have anyone better lined up for Lomachenko and, and, and Teofimo Lopez fights somebody like, Ray Beltran next, early next year, looks great against Beltran. Then all of a sudden, he's putting himself in that top echelon Even Beltran's of a big step up. Now, I know that Teo wants to move fast. He just turned 21, though. Like, uh, you don't want to, you don't want another Fernando Vargas on your hands, who is like, okay, maybe he can win some of these Ray Beltran type fights. So we put him in there, but you stunt your development when you eventually hit that wall and suddenly Tito Trinidad's knocking you out and then Oscar's knocking you out and then, you got a hematoma against Shane Mosley, and then suddenly your career is over, right? That is true. Uh, it's 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 risky, but at the same time, I could see I could see people arguing it could be like when Canelo fought Floyd. He wasn't ready. He got outclassed. He got schooled. He he yeah, came in with like the world's worst game plan. He had like but, forty-seven pro fights at that point, though. That's Canelo has been fighting as a professional since he was eight years old. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was borderline racist, but so true. So oh, the, 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 the reality is what? 14, 15? That's 15, very young. Yeah. I love me some Saul Canelo Alvarez. Uh, yeah. So Teofimo Lopez, man, this should really help his game though. I mean, I know he wants to, he thinks Rocky, uh, Ryan Garcia is going to be a bust, but man, he must be, you know, if Ryan Garcia's got the left coast on lockdown in terms of like the high school girls, then maybe, uh, Teo's New York takeover is, is, it will amp up a bit after this. Yeah, but you, Teo carries himself like a New Yorker. He's not on that California pretty boy garbage. Like you should, after the fight, he came out on press row and was looking slick like this crazy old school turtleneck, little skinny chain, just looking super sharp and, and, yeah, he doesn't play that that social media garbage the same way that, that Ryan Garcia does. He's not trying to make it go down in the DMs. He probably is a little bit because who isn't? But he's really, uh, you know, he he's gonna take he's he's David Lemieux style walk to you, walk step to you and take your girl and get and you're not doing nothing about it. And then I take advantage, and then when I shoot my shot, it, I shoot, you know, for the KO. Just to. <laughs> Just to point out, he wasn't talking about boxing in that conversation whatsoever. Uh, that wraps up the top rank portion of the card, but we had more boxing on Saturday, Rafe. It started in zone on that platform. I'm going to be honest, I didn't get a chance to watch this fight, so bail me out here. Did you see the, the little chocolate brownies when Kel Brook took a decision from Michael Zarafa but did not look like a world beater or so they say doing so? Did you see this? Brian, I am not eating any little chocolate brownies over the past weekend because – Honestly, I was planning on rewatching the fight, then I read about it, and it sounded like it was a garbage fight, and I'm like, alright, you know what? I can live without this. Josh Kelly got sick, pulled out of his fight with David oh. Avenesian, so it was, he jacked, man, that's the Sunderland, them Jordies are jackers now. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, no, no, I hope they, I hope you. that Josh Kelly and them are good, they make the fight again next year, whatever, whatever happened, whatever, but that, that whole thing, I, I said, no more, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. Alright, well, with the zone out of the way, the other boxing bit of news on Saturday was HBO, after 45 years being the leader, now, I, I do argue, though, that in 2013, they stopped being the leader. Showtime acquired Floyd, acquired all the PBC guys, you know, in that. Golden I think Sports. Floyd acquired Showtime yes. for a brief period of time. And I think, seriously, from that point forward, you not only saw Showtime take over as number one, but you saw HBO slowly bleed. Sure, they stayed alive with Pacquiao, Bradley, a bunch of Euros, and getting lucky that fights like Bradley Provodnikov, you know, turned into things. But this was the end. And this, Rafe, wasn't a send-off party, a celebration. It was a damn funeral. And to be honest, it was a sad funeral. Because StubHub, the home of box, the home of wars, your backyard of Carson, California, was empty as ish. And you know what? Deservedly so, the final card in HBO's history featured two women's fights out of three. Wow, going full Teddy Atlas there. Yeah, huh? I mean, I, I am. I, I mean, I, I didn't mean to, but that woman. Oh, Teddy, come on. We don't, we don't talk like that on this show. But uh, I mean, it's just, man, dude. Max Kellerman didn't have his voice. Uh, they bring back Larry Merchant, but then they only let him talk for like two minutes and then they pull the plug like he's on the Apollo stage with the damn hook. And Rafe, now I didn't watch this live, 
But about one, 2 a.m. on Saturday night after the UFC ended, I went back and watched it. And by watched it, you know what I mean? You know what that means? It means fast forward through the three fights they showed just to see the damn tears and to, and to, and to experience the moment. Now, we're going to get to that video package they did in a minute. And I know we've been hammering this card for weeks, Rafe. But when you see the reporters that were there and they did a panoramic shot on their phone, Rafe, there's like 200 people in the stands for this card. Like, I cannot believe, even though we crapped on it for weeks, when it finally was in front of me, that HBO's final fight was Cecilia Brakis against, I don't know. I mean, like. I, I forgot. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, there's only so far we can go for this. I'm into women's boxing to a certain degree. This is not a women's boxing conversation, Rafe. I normally don't do interview with women unless I find Oh, come on, come them. on. No, no, it's 2018. Athletes sleep with a lot of women. It's fine. My point is, like. It Ryan, was, my point is this. Relax. It was worse than I thought it would be. It was actually worse. So to, to 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 twist the great Larry Merchant line, we thought it was terrible, <laughs> and it was even worse than we thought. Um, Brian, relax, man. It's over. You don't. You know they're already in the gr- in the ground, six feet under. You don't need to to piss all over the grave at this point. Um, now it's easier for me to say that because I didn't bother watching the card. I was covering the fights in New York, but. I don't, I have sympathy for the whole situation. I tried to be a little, I try, I've tried to stay out of it and be non-emotional about it, even though I understand why fight fans have expressed a lot of disappointment in this wind down for HBO boxing, but they don't owe us anything. Yes, they we, do. No, they don't. We, they sold us a product. We bought it for as long as we were willing to pay for it. Now they're no don't longer selling that, be that product. Guy. Don't and, be unemotional. And so I've tried to – and at times I did get emotional. It is hard to explain why they chose to to wind it down in in such a a slow and depressing way rather than than go out on some big high note and and congratulate everyone. But we don't know what goes on inside of those kind of situations. And I I do know I have been – Go, I have gone down with a couple sinking ships, most notably Grantland in 2015. (laughs) And that was – one of the worst experiences of my entire life. And everyone was lying about everything that was happening constantly. Everyone was chattering about stuff they didn't understand or knew. And even there's stuff I never knew because no one said anything to me, even while I was partially helping to run that site for the last three weeks. That whole experience sucks. So my heart goes out to everyone who had to go and go through and be professional and finish their jobs out at HBO Boxing. Max Kellerman, even though couldn't even speak. I mean, the poor man was like dying on screen with his voice. No, I'm, I'm glad he did. It was, it was crazy, but it's still, it's, it, that's, I mean, that's how much the product meant to everyone. He still had, wanted to be part of that last day. It should have been a party. Even dying on screen. You know what it should and, have been? It should have been Salito Rick, Mickey Roman part two or something where you're just like, you know what? Let's have a party. Let's go out with a bang. Let's bang. I'm not bang. See you later. Left, right, good night. Instead, it was a sad-ass funeral. Max's voice just made it worse. Like, everything until that final send-off was just like, wow, man. But it's over. It's over, and that's fine. And I just say I salute all those folks for for holding it together. Like, that was – honestly, it was probably about as poorly as you could script a situation like that 
pretty much everything that's gone on since the announcement that HBO is getting out of boxing. And after Jacobs, Derevianchenko, the last three cards have been dismal. Uh, and I, so, so I, yeah, I respect the people who held it together, went out like professionals and, and, and didn't make a stink, didn't make a scene and, and, you know, carried themselves with some honor. Good for them. All right. They had Larry Merchant on before the main event. I didn't like that. They kind of pulled him. They didn't give him, you know, a chance to really give us a soliloquy, but after the main event, in a really awkward interview at ringside, Jim Lampley interviewed uh, Cecilia Brakis, who suddenly was like, where's Cyborg? I want to meet Cyborg. And he's like, oh, yeah, she's over there. We can make that happen. She goes, I want to meet Cyborg and go do what she do. It was like the weirdest. Like, if the night couldn't get any weirder, the last HBO boxing match ever ends with a boxer saying, I want to go fight in MMA. And Jim, like, smiling at her as if she had just, like said some, like, horrific statement where he's, like, trying to transition out of it. Like, okay, yeah. And then, though, we got what we came to see, which were the tears. All right? Uh, Roy Jones surprising all of us, giving a really heartfelt goodbye. I'm sure we thought he was going to say three words and be done. Instead, he dug deep, and then he broke down. That was sort of like the moment of the night, Rafe. Yeah, yeah, that was not RJ crying on screen on Saturday night. Must have forgot. Uh, Max's voice was groggy, and although they did announce uh, simultaneously on ESPN that Max Kellerman will now get his own weekly boxing show on ESPN and selectively be a part of the fight broadcast moving forward. Does that mean Kriegs is getting bumped sometimes? I don't know what's happening there. Does that mean Dan Rayfield's basement show is in danger here? I don't know what's happening there, but that's a smart move for ESPN. Tough to see Max's voice break like that. Then they go to Lamps. I'll say this. I thought Lamps gave better content afterwards to the people the bloggers at ringside the video bloggers i thought that was a very tame lamps ending yes he cried did you notice that he thanked basically every employee in hbo history except for peter nelson how do you read that i don't know who every employee in hbo history is and if he thanked everyone except for peter nelson i'm not i i I am not gonna be a conspiracy theorist here maybe peter it's just i yeah i I, that was pointed out to me and maybe there's something to it it's very it's it wouldn't be the craziest suggestion in the world but we don't know who made the call to to kill boxing at hbo i think i honestly don't think it was was peter nelson i think it happened way above him uh and in addition to that maybe peter's and peter's back there saying look don't bring me up Uh, just just this is about you guys not me let they handled it how oh, they handled it. You're very diplomatic and sober today. Stop it! Stop it! Nah, stop that crap! You want me to get nasty? <laughs> I I hate being accused of being diplomatic. I ain't trying to protect anyone. All right, I hate everyone. Okay, the real me probably hates you. But I, and the reason I'm being diplomatic is because I don't want to be like the rest of you who are trying to create dumbass narratives. I don't know the truth, wow. and I'm gonna say I don't know the truth. I'm a treated Wow, Rafe. Wow, that was, yeah, slam that soda. Yeah, I'll get B-Hop after you on that, all right? This is seltzer, man. I'm trying to improve myself. <laughs> the soda to me is like liquid crack. All right, B-Hop. Um, so as much as I didn't like most of that broadcast, when Lamps broke down and threw to that incredible, like, 10-minute video package retrospecting, on 45 years. Here's the thing about that thing, Rafe. A, it was freaking amazing. B, that's not HBO boxing history. That's boxing 
history. Man, I just wired that. <laughs> that was all Dwyer. That wasn't a good video package. That was a historic one. Ray- Ryan, it's worth it, man. Lean into it. This was special. I- this is boxing. Yeah, I mean, like, so, like, Jim Lampley was like Greg Madden. No, just kidding. Um, it was really special. I, I didn't affect it to emotionally catch me as much as it did. Uh, like a lot of people tweeted, and I'm saying, I'll recycle it here. You remember where you were at a lot of those different moments. Oh my God, Ray, if you remember what it felt like when HBO was the heart and soul of the sport, and just from a historical perspective, just from a loving the little, the great sound. I mean, Jim's the best of all time, Jim Lampley. I mean, nobody has that many great calls, although I really like Moro Ronell. I don't know if you're on Team Moro. I, I think he's he's on his way to become the greatest announcer of all time in fight sports history. I just said that out loud. Mamma mia, yeah, that is yeah. a take. Oh, wow, wow, wow. I think this fight is a miss. Oh, man. All right. Uh, so Lamps is the best. You see that, but to see the little merchant tie-ins and his reaction, I mean, uh, right in the feel spot, Rave. Hashtag all the feels. I, I didn't want it to end. I wanted to go back. I'm going to rewatch that like a lot of people about 800 times in the next week. That's just fantastic. And it was the perfect time to watch it for those of us who, for whatever reason, missed it live, came back after a night of covering fights or people were out drinking, doing whatever. You know, it's two in the morning. It's dark. You're a little groggy, feeling vulnerable. And you watch that and you're like, man, I love this sport. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna miss this. This was special. Thinking about like, I, like, I'm serious. What is the, what is like your ultimate young boxing fan nostalgia fight? I, I if you gotta think about it, I got mine on tap. Well, uh, the Re- first Bogolata for me. And it wasn't how, cause it was the greatest fight ever. It was a fun fight, but it was because of just, it was because I was watching it at home with my pops, and he and there's all these low blows, and he just Galata won't stop <laughs> banging that bag, and <laughs> then it then, then the riot happens. Lou Duva's a go, getting carted out on a stretcher. We will say my uh, my father and I go back and forth yelling, singing, yelling. Lou is down. Lou Duva is down <laughs> all the time. And we, and we, we've been cracking up about it for however many years, 20 something years now. That stuff is special. Oh, man, what, what's your nostalgia for? Kriegel is going to love that. We good friends. I love your daddy. I just saw your daddy walking in the background here. If you're recording this from New York this week, Rafe. Uh, yeah. So the first fight that I really, really cared about in terms of the build. And the only fight I remember buying on pay-per-view and having, and having a giant party was 87. Sugar Ray Leonard's comeback against Marvin Hagler. It was enough to pull my non-sports watching dad into like talking about it at work and getting in on it into like, hey, I'm going to buy it at your grandparents' house and we're going to have this big party there in the basement. And look, HBO covered that. That's Barry Tompkins. How do you like it? How do you like it? I mean, that's a great call. And I like the, by the way, that Jim gave a shout out to, to Barry there. But, you know, my prime early years of, of catching those feels was all those heavyweight championship bouts in the early 90s, the Bo Holyfield trilogy, all that, the the build toward uh, that giant pay-per-view of George Foreman and Vander Holyfield, the one that you watched as a young kid too, watching those through the squiggly lines until we until my dad purchased the illegal cable box, which allowed me to watch them all legally. Um, it's it's all HBO, dude. It's being in college and when Nassim Hamed fought and, you're, and I'd be visiting somebody 
and their dorm room became like an event. Like, okay, we we can drink and 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 uh, talk to Samson up to this time, but then we got to be at this kid's room because Hamed's fighting. You know what I mean? And Hamed Kelly always brings special feels from that moment. It's oh, it's, the, the the ring walk was was it changed epic. my life. It's, I mean, it was. Barry was so pissed off in the moment, but still, like, it was the funniest thing. Like, he's still going! You know, and it's, and it's through the 2000s, and it's, it's, it's Lennox Lewis getting KO'd by Rockman. It's, you know, it's like you remember where you were. HBO was there along the way. And probably my favorite stretch of HBO, even though it maybe not, isn't their best, but when I was single living with a couple of dudes and, uh, Prime Campbell talking right now. Weird. Wow. Him and his brother used to oh, how dare you, Christian? Um, what I'm saying is, uh, my my dad handed down the black box to me in 2003 when he moved to Florida. So from 03 to like, was it sort of like the the Christopher Walken scene in Pulp Fiction? I, I son, I held this cable box <laughs> in my ass. <laughs> So really from like 04 to 07 when I got married, my entire life was boxing on HBO. HBO, HBO has taken you from prime to washed. And like I was, I stopped going out on Saturdays because I was so addicted to these fights, which I was watching for free illegally. But I, you know, and like during that run, dude, it's when I went from pretty good boxing fan to insane boxing fan. And guess what? Jim and Larry were with me along that journey. And now that I'm lucky enough to get to F around and call a couple fights here and there, it's like they're imprinting things on your soul to make you love this business that much and want to do it. So to see this death, I largely stayed unemotional. When HBO announced this, everyone had a column and had this. I was like, all right, guys, it's a TV channel, whatever. This video, this video brought it all together. From my anger to the, through the last card, through all the great memories I mean, you nailed it, that, that Bogolata. Remember where I was through Fan Man. I mean, these are all HBO pay-per-view fights, but still, let, it's like, you know, through Bradley you, Provodnikov. I mean, everything. HBO, yeah. oh. you were there. You were there a long man. time, man. Man, Brian, let me ask you, what are some of the – so there are all those classic, true classic fights that they that showed up in the montage. I'm curious, were there what, – what, what was the fight that wasn't in the montage that is one of your all-time classics you just love? You know, it didn't necessarily belong there, didn't have the star power, might not have been a true, true all-time great fight. But some of the ones you're just like, man, I love that one. You know what it was for me? Top of my list? Sergio Martinez, Paul Williams won. Oh, yeah. Great, you're I right. Fell in, I fell in love that Forgotten night with a fight. man named Sergio. Sexy Serge. By the way, great fight. Sergio may have gotten, probably gotten screwed. That was a run where he oh, gets that was a ro- that, we, we, We've been debating what is and is not a robbery a lot because of some of the decisions. That was a damn robbery. It was an effective robbery. It's the robbery. Uh, that first fight was so damn good. They both got dropped early. It was like Williams was like, oh, God, this guy's for real. This is going to be a brawl. Great choice. I was going to bring up Jermaine Taylor, Winky Wright, which a lot of people coming in thought that fight was kind of going to be a weird chess match, and it turned out to be a, a kind of a sleepy brawl. I mean, that was a really fun fight. And, uh, well, no, you know, you know, dude, right in that prime when I had that black box, Cotto Ricardo Torres is, 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 is it oh just fits God. that more. Oh, it's just, yeah. I don't know if that was in Ooh. that montage, but oh man, great moments in HBO. I mean, I mean, Sam Peter, Vlad Klitschko won 
and AC. I was gonna say I was th- I thought a Sam Peter and James Tony one. Yes. That one was awesome. Tony, Fat Tony was so good in that fight. He got robbed. Oh man. HBO, RIP. I hate the way you went out, but who really has a outside of Floyd, who has a happy ending these days in boxing? Not too many people. And Not if you go to many. Girl Collection, you can also have that same happy ending. Um, Rafe, uh, we gotta get into uh the latest news and there really wasn't much. Um a lot of people got a chance to rewatch Wilder Fury. I didn't get a chance to watch that epilogue yet on Showtime. I gotta, I gotta make time for that because I heard it was excellent. But, uh, Wilder Fury rematch, a lot of people were able to watch it, score it a second time. I'm still gonna say this. It came off as a draw, but. Hey, that wasn't a draw in the Dwyer household. And really the same as the Campbell household. But Deontay Wilder, Showtime did a cool thing. They rented out a steakhouse in New York. I had a chance to go to that, but I was busy just to name drop myself there, Rafe. So take that. And they had Deontay Wilder sit down and they filmed it and rewatched the fight. And his score after rewatching it, <laughs> 10 rounds to two, Deontay Wilder. So there you go, Rafe. You surprised at all? Yeah, I, I can't wait until he's uh, judging fights in Las Vegas. Big fights. You know, he, we, we need a new adolescent bird and it might be Deontay Wilder. Oh, man. Uh, a lot of people have takes. Uh, John Fury came out with a few of them. He will come again. The Gypsy King has only just begun this journey. Yeah, so so uh, they will come again, them gypsies. Um, uh, Wilder nearly killed his son, but he was very happy. John admitting that he would have thrown in the towel in the 12th round and, and not let that fight continue because of Wilder's power. Deontay Wilder, formidable puncher, proved it. The man's got killing power. Yeah. And if he doesn't kill you, you can probably leave your brain damaged. Wow. Wow. I mean, look, that guy, I mean, John Fury is, he brings it. Tyson Fury is the real deal. And anybody wants to con- contradict what I'm saying, they're either jealous or they're insane, you know. Well, they're not a man. They're not a real man. I'll never jack Rafe. And uh, Tyson Fury also rang in. If I don't win, come back of the year, I'm going to eat hay with a donkey, for sure. Wow, is that a gypsy? What is it? What is that? He's doing what? He's going to eat the hay of a donkey? That was interesting. But something you brought up earlier in talks of Wilder, and and here's where we stand a week now later. Wilder only wants to fight Tyson Fury and no one else. Fury's still in that. Let's see what happens. Which basically Uh, let me ask: Do you believe that? I have my own theory, and that is that both of these fighters are leaning into the idea of the rematch to improve their bargaining position. With Anthony Joshua. I think AJ is still the prize for both of these guys. But they're going to, their their position is that, oh, no, no, we just want the rematch. We want each other. We Forget AJ. It doesn't even matter anymore. I think that's a little bit of a put oh, on no. to try and get a better offer out of the earn with Hearn yes, side. Because there's a platform, and that platform is going to want Fury to face Joshua, by the way. So, yes, that's where I think he wants to go. I can understand Wilder. And look, and Wilder's mind. Can Fury fight any better than that first one? I think only Wilder can fight better. Yes, Fury can fight better. He's That was his third fight back after weighing 400-plus right, pounds. Counter. That's a fair counter. He can get into better shape. He can get into a better rhythm. Big, You, you ask Big John Fury, he'll tell you Titan, Tyson was only at about 65%. And you know, he, he he's right. He knows everything. The guy but, but not, Wilder doesn't can get jack. a lot better. We know that. 
Wilder, when is Wilder ever going to improve? He ain't well, going to improve. He, watching, watching him watch those, the fight back, he was just saying how the moment got to him and all of his punches were wide and he wasn't using his jab and he's going to come in and, and really look to line up straight right hands this time rather than looping ones. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, Wilder g- gave a weird, uh, statement to, uh, Cur- to Keith Eideck of Boxing Scene who happened to be there at that dinner and said he wants to weigh in. Not a 205 and a half, but 245 for his next fight. And here's the quote. It's just because of my team. My team wants me to do it, and we work as a team. So me and Shelly talked about this, and of course, I'm going to do what I want to do. But I went back and said, you know what? If you all want to see certain things, then I'm going to give it to you. I'm never the one that's just solely sold on what I want to do. There's certain things, but we work as a team, and we've been working for this long. And if it's adjustments that need to be made, I'm willing to do it. Rafe, I don't even see remotely how this could be a good idea. It does not make any sense. Uh, I, I don't, it, it, I read the story. It sounds like 245 is some made up number in his head that he, like, he always wanted to, to get, like, be, be 245 pounds, all muscle, 6'7, whatever. That seems like a very bad idea. This is, Wilder's stamina doesn't, has never seemed, uh, the best. It's not a problem for him, but he, we've seen him winded in fights and slow down a little bit. Uh, is, you know, he's been on the watch. You know, he's, we, he's been close to, uh, to blowing an L here and there in a fight. And, uh, so carrying around more weight, especially for a muscular, low body fat kind of guy, that's not a great look. I think it, yeah. it may help to put on some weight, but 15 pounds is probably enough. All gaining 40 pounds or, or 30 pounds is crazy. And I, I, I think it's also unrealistic to think that it would actually happen. It wasn't like he lost this fight because he was bodied up and Fury leaned on him and wore him down. He's got ridiculous murder power as John Fury was a killing power. He's so quick. And seems to have great stamina. So, yeah, stay, stay the same guy. Just maybe, I, Wilder, he jazz. says so much weird stuff. You never, it's, it's hard to tell how much of it he actually believes, how much of it actually is intended to make much sense. I don't know. I can't judge that stuff. But yeah, he had one of his post fight explanations was that he broke his hand. 12 weeks before he went into training for the Fury fight. And I couldn't believe that nobody, when, when, while he was saying this, asked him to explain that a little bit more because, so what does that mean? Six months before the fight? Like three, three months before you had what? A two month, three month camp? You broke a hand, you, you broke a hand. It didn't require surgery. We would have known if there was a surgery. So whatever, like fighters, how many times in training camps do fighters injure their hands mildly or to somewhat severely, and they, they get through it. I, that didn't make any sense why that – and he certainly seemed to be throwing his right hand pretty hard against Tyson Fury. So what? why, why bring that up, Deontay? I broke my back. What do you mean by that? Your back is broken. What, a, a vertebrae or, or well, what portion? Spinal. Remember we had beers with Jim uh, Gray a couple weeks ago, and, and he told the story at length? That was, that was good times, right? <laughs> Hey, uh, this, this really bad Crawford Colazzo fight for March at MSG may not be after all because after we recorded last week, suddenly Khan's in the building. Not Nick Khan. Amir Khan. Yes, the 147 King might be sliding in them DMs to be part. I, here's what I think happened. Amir Khan heard top rank talk about throwing three million at Danny Garcia for a pay-per-view fight. And he was like, wait, hold on, guys. I'm a celebrity here. I'm easy to beat. 
and that's the fight they're going to make. <laughs> you know true. what? It's funny because it's true. This this works for everybody because it's actually a decent style fight, even though we all know Bud's going to knock him out. But look, Khan's along with good speed. He's going to give everybody trouble for four or five rounds. Yeah, Khan is always Khan, Khan is one of the best four round fighters ever, and except against uh, you know Danny Garcia and Bradis Prescott. But he, he, he was in those fights. He looks good until he gets until he gets caught. And nobody uh, wants to see Colazzo. So yes, win win. If this has to be a pay per view, well, I'll get my dad's black box again. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Man, that's I don't know if I've, I want to shell out the big bucks for that fight, but it's still better than than a free Colazzo fight. Like that was depressing me just thinking about it. And yeah, it's it, it, Amir Khan is a name. He has, you know, it, it will be it, it will at least be someone who has hand speed similar to Bud Crawford's uh, before getting knocked out. And and I would want to see that fight uh, above a lot of the other options at 147 on the top rank side. So yeah, it's good. And and I still think you know the BEST is going to be. <laughs> Bud Crawford. <laughs> uh, t- uh, top rank also this week signed heavyweight Kubrat Pulev. We, of course, we thought we were going to see him against Anthony Joshua last fall, but he pulled out. He jacked with an injury. We didn't get to see it. Luckily, we've got Twire, who's the biggest Kubrat Pulev fan in history. I feel that Joshua is going to have an incredibly hard time. I mean, incredibly hard time, especially for a 20-to-1 favorite, getting by Kubrat Pulev's jab. I, quite frankly, don't see how Anthony Joshua is going to outbox Pulev. I don't care what the casino's odds are. If the fight goes to a decision, even in Joshua's backyard, I think Pulev wins the fight. Wow, wow, Dwyer. Uh, Rafe, when you see top rank signs Pulev, which top rank heavyweights do you want to see him against? None. I don't know. Are there any? Who's there? Uh, Andy, Andy Ruiz. Ruiz still kicking around? Good Lord. <laughs> Brian Jennings? I'll oh. say, just say bye bye to me. I'm out. Oh, wow. 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 That, yeah. Wow. Uh, speaking of Dwyer and speaking of, uh, Joshua Wilder. I got to call Dwyer out. We, How we, dare you? We go to this guy. He's the source. We want to hear what special sauce he's created in the cauldron. He still hasn't even watched Wilder Joshua and still hasn't posted a video. I think he has a good explanation for it, Brian. <sighs> I had to prioritize some family matters on Saturday night, so I was unable to watch the Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder fight live. That fight's going to be replayed in a matter of days on Showtime, a service I have. Right? So, to be fair to the fighters, and I'm aware of how the fight's been reported. Right? And I'm obviously not happy with the draw outcome, especially as a hedge better. Wow, wow. He's got a lot going on there as a hedge better. From now uh, on, we call Showtime a service I have. <laughs> As part of the brand. Showtime, a service I have. Uh, but by the way, Dwyer, it's now Monday. Where's the video? He's been posting all this other stuff. But, uh, yeah, you know, we're going to have to wait. We're going to have to wait to really find out what he has to say about that, Rafe. All right? I'm not trying to be buffoonish. Not trying to, you know, not trying to go down that road. Um, final bit of news, Rafe, is the uh, International Boxing Hall of Fame has report- released their 2019 uh, list of inductees. 
And I've seen everyone on my timeline call this from bad to the hall of very good ripping the voting process. Here's your names. Julian Jackson, Buddy McGirt, former crunk guy Donald Curry, longtime former champion Tony DeMarco, promoter Don Elbaum, and trainer and broadcaster Teddy Atlas. Rick, your thoughts on the class? Man, it's who I don't care. I'm not a voter. I didn't even look at the ballot. All I know is my man Sat Chitalata is not in, and I that is heartbreaking to me. But uh, look, I, I were there probably some some better fighters on there than 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 the guys who got in? Sure. Who cares? It's a fun. It's it's a thing for fans. It's not. I, I don't take it that seriously. I'm glad that the people who do vote take it somewhat seriously. I, they, I remember what like Rafael Marquez. People are a little, probably upset that he's not getting in, uh, and, and that this, Hernandez. And yeah, uh, look, they're going to be on the ballot. They'll get they, they, these guys will get their shots. Michael Kessler uh, is uh, my guy. Michel Shevsky, Michel Lusk, whatever. Michel Shevsky, yes. Yeah. Um, I look, I, 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 it's not a big deal. Like, go, uh, I love Canastota. That's what matters to hello, me. Hello, hello, Boxy. Hello, my, I want to say hi to my brother. I want to say hi. Um, so yeah, we will have, by the way, a, a, a nice sit down with Teddy Atlas next week, just to tease the bag a little bit, talking about the Hall of Fame, maybe talking about Alexander Grovestick. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, get ready for that. I'm happy for Teddy. I'm happy for him, Rafe. Yeah, of course, I'm happy for all these guys. I'm happy for Julian Jackson, even even if he doesn't have a career that seems Hall of Fame worthy. He's he's in the YouTube Hall of Fame right now. Oh, God, God damn, I'll, I'll I'll watch it right now. Show me that Harold Graham knockout. Watch Julian Jackson point to guys as they fall. I'm in. Wow, because that guy did one thing above all else, Rafe, when he fought. You know what it is. We, we, bang? Can, we gotta bang him a little bit. I mean, we're not banging him. Um, Rafe, weekend preview time. Do you care? But we begin with not a fight, a movie. Tuesday, December 11th, 9 p.m. Eastern. 42 to 1 is the new 30 for 30 from ESPN. But before I find out whether you care, I'm gonna let you listen to a sit down I did with the co-directors. Coming right at you, Rafe. All right, very pleased to welcome in the CBS Sports Boxing Podcast. Two fellas co-directing a film you're going to really want to get out there and see. Of course, it debuts Tuesday night, December 11th. That's ESPN, a 30 for 30, titled 42 to 1. Oh, the history, the look back at all things Buster Douglas, Mike Tyson, the greatest upset in boxing history. That was me saying that, not them. They might in a second. Jeremy Schapp. And Ben Hauser, my former ESPN brethren. Guys, fantastic film. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you guys doing? We're great. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you for having us. Uh, I just want to start this off. This is Jeremy by saying it's all me. Ben didn't really participate <laughs> in, in this. He, he's just here for the star power. Yes, of course. And Bristol, by the way, loves it when Jeremy either takes credit or doesn't. Because I get truth, killed. I the, get killed no matter what. It doesn't make a difference what I do. The truth is somewhere in the middle. Somewhere, somewhere huh. there. Somewhere there. Well, you guys teamed up. You, the, the, the baby's out. The head's out. I saw it. And it looks fantastic. The fans are going <laughs> to love it. Uh, this fight, it touches so many. That's an interesting metaphor. Oh, it gets worse. It gets weird. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to get past that. It gets weird on this show. This is just the beginning here, Jeremy Shep. Uh, this fight 
for guys our age, we're washed, the three of us collectively. For guys our age, this fight screams, you know, a time when it was pure, when boxing was different, when things like this could happen. I'm not saying they can't happen today. We just saw Fury Wilder. It was fantastic. But this was a special time. I think you're getting a lot of interest in this film. What does this fight, Tyson Douglas, mean to both of you to make you want to bring this film to reality? Look, I mean, this, Jeremy, for me, Brian, this is one of the very few sports moments that I think all sports fans in the U.S. and people who aren't even uh, sports fans Remember, it was so significant. It was such a big deal. Mike Tyson was such a colossus in our collective consciousness at the time. And Buster Douglas pulling this off was totally unexpected, obviously. You know, the, the odds were 42 to 1. But that was just one book. And nobody else would even post odds on the fight. It was really a million to 1 uh, in the minds of most people. And, and he didn't just accomplish the upset. He didn't just give us this kind of transcendent sports moment, but it's an incredible fight with an incredible backstory that I think really uh, even people who, who think they know the story, even people who think they know boxing, uh, don't know. They, they know the Mike Tyson story. They don't know the Buster Douglas story. They really don't. And that's, uh, that was our mission here, to tell that story. And, and Ben, uh, much more so than, than me, really brings it to life in a way that I think is going to surprise people uh yeah jeremy and i were very blessed we work at espn bc you were here for a long time and and storytelling is a staple here they they really support it jeremy and i are lucky enough to work on e60 together on a weekly basis we we love telling stories and this is something we always talked about him and i think this is the greatest upset not just in boxing but in sports and i know that's arguable there's other examples the miracle on ice i mean virginia just lost last year but I think when, when you see the story that we told through Buster's eyes, often this story is told through the loss. Tyson lost. But Buster Douglas has a story, and that's what we tried to capture in this film. Yeah, you, and you guys did. I think that's the biggest takeaway I took, that you know we've seen, let's say, the folks at HBO that did a half-hour Legendary Knights version, what, 15 years ago on this fight. But that's about that story they told, let's say, is about Mike Tyson lost this fight. And that's the narrative that has carried through through the years because of the odds, because it ended such an incredible but short reign of dominance where Tyson elevated to become the biggest star in all of sports. You guys did a great job at telling the fact that it maybe, yeah, it was an upset on the odds, on the paperwork, but it maybe wasn't a fluke. This was a real quality fighter in Buster Douglas who had just not yet come out of his shell up to this level. So I enjoyed that. It was very Buster heavy in that. I think anybody watching that is going to go, wait, hold on. Except for archival footage, where was Mike Tyson? So I'll let you guys answer that. Where was Mike Tyson in this story? You know, we made, um, there were a few things that happened, Brian. You know, we made a conscious decision ultimately that we did not uh, want this to be dominated by Mike Tyson. We wanted this to be the Buster Douglas story. This is his backstory. The Tyson story is well known. You know, if there's any criticism you get when you when you tell people you're doing something about, you know, Tyson Douglas, they say, oh, well, I've heard that a million times. No, you've heard the Mike Tyson perspective. And so at one point, you know, we wanted to get Mike to sit down. He declined to participate specifically on this. I interviewed him last year about the fight uh, at some length. And we had it in a cut at one point, some sound bites from him from that most recent interview. And we ultimately decided that it didn't work as well with him in it. It works better without him in it. I mean, there's a lot of Mike Tyson, as you said, in this, in this documentary. Not only 
Uh, do you see action from all, I believe it's all of his first 38 fights up through the Buster Douglas fight? Correct, yeah. But it's also um, a lot of interviews with him at the time. And we wanted to keep you in the moment, in 1985, 86, 88. You know, we didn't want you distracted by Mike Tyson today in the film. And that's a, you know, that's a conscious decision. I'm sure some people, you know, some people can't get enough Mike Tyson. Well, they, they, they would rather have us just, you know, probably put up on ESPN a 45-minute one-on-one with Mike Tyson talking about his <laughs> life because he is endlessly fascinating. And look, you know, Brian, nobody has interviewed him more than I have. Nobody has spent more time telling the Mike Tyson story than I have. I've done two features just for E60. I covered the last half of his career. I was at virtually every fight. I have... Um, or I consider some pretty good interview moments with Mike over the years. Uh, but but this wasn't the Mike, the Mike Tyson story. And I asked that question loaded, but I didn't ask it from a, hey, guys, your movie has a hole. It's Mike Tyson. I was almost going to just put it out there before you guys had a chance to respond and say, was it almost a, you know, a, a blessing in disguise? Because it allowed you to tell the Buster story of not just then, but today so much more prominently. I think no question. I know Jeremy touched on this. We did have some of, of that interview sound from 2017 with E60. And what, what you see when you start to, to tell the story, you start to lay it out in the edit, is the more you go into Tyson, the more you can get lost and that he can just take over the story. And that was, uh, that was definitely a cognizant um, thought by us, that this was really Buster's narrative. This was how we kept going back to this question. How did this guy beat this guy? How did Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson? And we, we tried to never let that be clouded by the force that is Mike Tyson because as soon as you start seeing the video, uh, which, by the way, Jeremy's correct, we show you some highlights or some element from all 37 of his fights uh, leading into the Buster fight. In fact, we have a full fight from Mike Tyson in here that's not Tyson-Douglas. It's the Marvis Frazier fight. Now, the fight lasts 20 <laughs> seconds, so <laughs> we had the benefit of that. But, uh, you know, telling the elements of Buster's story, he was not highly covered in his career. And I think we tried to uncover a lot of archives that haven't been seen before, including some of the Tyson interviews and things that people, I'm sure, are not familiar with. You know, I know your colleague, Mark Kriegel, has normally cornered the uh, the market on the father-son storytelling, but there was certainly a, a right. really interesting layers and dynamics to the father-son here in, in terms of... of how Buster was, I guess, you know, in, in some ways helped in terms of his grooming as a fighter by his father, but in some ways it it led to him almost being held back, and you saw when they cut ties in there. Is that the, the crux of this whole Buster Douglas story in your eyes, the, the connection with the father? No doubt, and we talked about that from the beginning. And, and, and frankly, you know, one of my frustrations having told – Part of this story before for Sports Center, you know, when time is really um, at a different kind of premium, and you know, you've got six minutes or seven minutes, you don't have fifty minutes. And I interviewed Buster and people around him, and went back to the fight on the anniversaries. We couldn't even talk about his dad. Uh, there wasn't any time, and that's the heart of the story. But but it's a story that you need to know um, in in its full complexity and. It's a story about a father and a son in the same business and uh, how their reputations were diametrically opposed from each other's and how decisions had to be made during the course of this complicated relationship about whether it would be better to work together or not work together. 
how Buster had to summon the courage um, to create space between himself and his father and at the same time honor his father's vision for him. And, and that's, those are the, um, that's what this is about. You know, it, it, it's about a personal journey and a personal struggle, and it's a family story. And what's less significant is, you know, the stylistic stuff, the inside the ring stuff, you know, nothing wrong with that stuff. That's important, you know, and, and, and I am um, fascinated by that stuff as well. But this is a story um, that's bigger than that. And this is a story about fathers and sons, you know, the kind of story that Mark Kriegel likes to tell, uh, you know, with Boom Boom or Maravich or Namath. And, and uh, this is this is a story about someone um in Buster Douglas, who has to find a way to manage his relationship with the man he calls his hero in a way that's going to ultimately allow him to be his best. Absolutely. Hey, Ben, you spent a lot of time with Buster through this entire process. I'm interested, you know, we don't see a lot of Buster Douglas. There's not a lot, you know, he's not a regular at fights or, 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 in, or in interviews, maybe outside of the anniversary of this fight. How much has this fight's meaning changed for him, you know, maybe in the years since we last saw him do a sit-down for HBO to today, in, in how much this defines him, how much he, he treasures what this fight did for his life? Buster uh, is, is no questionably, I, I think it in ways is a household name, but nobody knows the second sentence to that story. You know, in Columbus, Ohio, where he's from, he's, he's very recognizable, and, and people come up to him. He he's really is still a hero there. We spent plenty of time with him there, and it was often that, that people would recognize him. Uh, we, we went to Japan, to Tokyo. He hadn't been back there since he left after beating Mike Tyson in the whirlwind. And, and for him to go back there and experience that, there were a few people that, you know, Buster stands out. He's very tall. He's, he's a very big man. And in, in Tokyo, it's, it's easy to pick out. So some people did come up to him. And, and in other times, um, he really got to kind of reflect on what that was like, walking back out to center field where – the Yamuri Giants play and, and go through his punch sequence of how he beat Mike Tyson. Um, he got a little bit emotional just thinking back on what that was like. Uh, th- those were, were really intimate moments. We went to the cemetery where uh, his mother is buried, and, and he spent a little time there. He, uh, we, we ended up having a great, a great trust with him, and I think, um, I think that comes through in the film. When you took him to the the Tokyo Dome, and it's a really cool scene in the movie, and I you know hadn't known that he'd never been back there. Uh, how would you describe watching him walk through there in terms of what he was feeling? You know, he was uh, Buster is a man of few words at times. Uh, if you've ever spoken to him, and I think when he walked down that hallway and he finally did walk out to the dome, he was uh, he was kind of overwhelmed, and to see and to look at the lights and to see the size of it, and yet it seemed. It, it was empty. We, we had filmed very late at night after a baseball game. It was 12.31 in the morning, Tokyo time. Uh, and for him to kind of stand there in silence and think about what had happened there almost 30 years ago, 28 years ago, uh, for him it was, it was really surreal to kind of witness that experience. And, and he spoke about that um, a little bit there and afterwards when we interviewed him. Uh, he did get a, bit, a little bit emotional just thinking back at the, what this has been like. I think there is an element in, in society today where people love the vintage. They love the retro, whatever that means. People love looking back. That's really what this story is. This was a concentrated moment in time in sports that is recognizable for people. And once you hear the full story and you see the end of this film and you see how Buster reacts in the interview with Larry Merchant in the ring, 
I think you really, truly understand how Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson. True. And, and, and the cool part, what we touched on earlier, which makes the story so not just the movie, but the story of the fight so fascinating is that even though this is the biggest upset ever, really, Douglas had the prototype to do it. He's really Mike Tyson's kryptonite in so many ways when you consider a 6'5 guy with a big jab, with a big right hand, if he was able to stand in there and show the type of heart that he hadn't up to that point. So that's such a great story. But the end of that story is what happened to Buster after this fight. Did you guys get the sense that he's come to terms with the fact that this was the mountaintop moment of his career, but, you know, it was only a few months later he gets knocked out by Evander Holyfield and personally and professionally, he was never the same. Right. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I've done this story before. What happened to Buster Douglas after the Tyson fight? Why didn't he ever find a way to reach that pinnacle again? Why didn't he show up against Holyfield? You know, he was something like 15 pounds heavier. He seemed almost uninterested in the proceedings. Um, you know, I, I'm sure in Buster's mind... Um, you know, he's beaten himself up over the years about, you know, why he couldn't ever find that focus again, why he didn't um, dedicate himself to the task at hand that way again. Um, and I, I think now he's in a place in his life. He's 58 years old. He's working in Columbus. He's working with um, kids who are training, you know, either just for recreation or cardiovascular or actually because they want to box he's training with them every day at a rec center and he doesn't have the money and he doesn't have the trappings of celebrities in the town where he grew up surrounded by people who've known him his whole life i think buster is the kind of guy who's happier now without all the complications that the championship and all that money when he signed to fight for holyfield brought him i think he's at a good place right now and, and whatever demons there were whatever uh regrets I think he's he's at a place in his life where um, he he's not beating himself up for it. Yeah, yeah, that 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 that's a, a really in a lot of ways a happy ending that you don't really get in boxing too often. So that that was really that's true. That's really cool to hear and see in that regard. Uh, you guys had a had a quite a task when you're doing a film like this to fit it in on a proper runtime. Uh, how painful yeah. was some of the, uh, the the cuts here for this one? Oh, no question. One hour's tough. It, I mean, it, it, I'm sure it. you may not think that as you watch it, but, yeah, you have to be very disciplined. Where do we go? What do we tell you? What don't we tell you? And I think we tried to tell a very tight, disciplined story that pays off well when you see the end of this thing. Um, you know, I think for Buster, we, you know, he saw the film on Thursday night last week, and in some ways he still gets overcome by emotion when he sees all this happen. We just had uh, – a screening today and as he was watching the film and he sees him winning the title and what his reaction is in the, in the immediate aftermath, you know, he still tears up. I mean, this every time you see that fight and you see these moments because the fight is, is amazing theater. What happens in that fight, not only Buster winning, but Buster getting knocked down, Buster getting back up, Buster beating Mike Tyson badly and then knocking him out. It is, it, it resonates every time you see it, which I mean, brilliant job here by our programming folks at the company to put the full fight right after the documentary on Tuesday night. So you'll hear the story from 9 to 10, but right at 10 o'clock, if you want to watch the full Tyson-Douglas fight, you can watch it right afterwards. 
Love that. Love that. That's just smart moves there from, from the folks over at the Worldwide Leader. Can't, can't get down on that. And we, you know, we mentioned for everything we said off the top with Tyson not being there, there's plenty of archival footage. And it was stuff I hadn't seen before to see some of those interviews, let's say the week of the fight, and you almost see uh, just a disinterest in Tyson. And look, his story been told a million times. We know how maybe not serious he was taking his fighting up to that point. But some of that stuff was really cool to sort of take you back to set the scene, 1990, where everything was at the time and where that man's mind was. Great film, guys. Uh, I think the only thing I left I could say is when this fight happened, when the impossible happened that night, January 1990, where were you? What was your reaction? Do you have that Me, remembrance? I, is it a JFK oh, I, type thing here, Jeremy? I mean, uh, I wouldn't want to compare it, obviously, to the the assassination of president uh, in terms of emotional impact or its significance. Uh, but in terms of the fact that people do tend to remember where they were, it's it's rare. It's one of those moments people do really remember. And I I certainly remember exactly where I was. I was a junior in college. I was uh, I went to Cornell University, and I was on the school paper. I was covering the uh, Cornell hockey team on the road that weekend. They were in New Hampshire. They were playing Dartmouth. And uh, I tried to find somewhere I could watch it on regular HBO. The fight was on regular HBO. And I couldn't find anywhere. But I was kind of asking around. I was at a party on the campus. And I'd asked somebody. I said, sorry, we don't have it. And then later in the night, I think the same guy came up to me. and said, did you hear what happened? I'm like, what? And he told me. And, of course, I was stunned. And then a few days later, I got to watch the fight. And... Uh, even knowing the outcome, it was one of those things you can't get an I, I Ben and I probably watched the fight. We've each watched the fight probably four dozen times, and it never fails to thrill me. Yeah, I, I agree. Mine, mine is probably the other uh, experience that many, many people had in this country in 1990. I was 14 years old. We did not have HBO, and I was asleep during the fight. So my experience is the next morning I'm in church, and a friend of mine says, did you hear about Mike Tyson? And I said, well, when did he when did he win? When did he knock out Buster Douglas? And he says, no, 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 he lost. And I said to him, not kidding, I said, why would you lie to me? We're in church. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, no, I'm serious. Mike Tyson lost. And I was astonished, shocked when I heard it, went home. And my younger brother and I, Chris, we, we sat in front of the television and watched all the highlights, all the unfolding, everything that occurred. Uh, and it was uh, it's just a shocking moment in sports that uh, – you know, the center of the of the kind of the news universe, not just the sports universe, descended on Columbus, Ohio in the weeks that followed. I mean, Buster was on Letterman. He was on Johnny Carson. There was a parade that had tens of thousands of people uh, all chanting and being so happy in that that city of Columbus, Ohio, for their for the new heavyweight champion of the world. Wow. I had the video game. I, I know. I remember. Those were some yeah, great times. Great times. <laughs> hey, Ben Hauser, great times working with you, buddy, all through the years. Great to see your name associated with such a cool project. Jeremy Schaap, such a great name in the business. Know your boxing passion. So to see you guys come together, really enjoyed this film. Really enjoyed getting to pick your brains uh, ahead of the launch here for, for what's a really cool project. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Really and, pleasure. And congrats on all your success. We're all right, Ray, special thanks to a bunch of good dudes there. Jeremy Schapp, Ben Hauser. Hauser, my longtime broski on that film. I got a chance to screen it. Pretty damn good film, Rafe. Takes you back to that moment, 1990. Rafe, where were you? 1990, January, Tokyo Dome. When the world was shocked. When Buster Douglas upset Mike Tyson as a 42-1 to underdog. Man, I was seven years old. I don't know. 
God, you're so salty today. There's no like, there's nothing out of you. It's all like, there's no this cold take Bartholomew all That's day. That's not in my memory bank. What do you want me to say? I, I I know about the fight. I have watched it since it is, but I, I just wasn't of the age and even knowing much about. I knew, of course, everybody knew who Mike Tyson was. I do remember that, and I, and it was news when he lost. But shoot, I'm I I just I just wasn't there for it. Wow, wow. All right, thank you. Where thank were you? I was Did you talk uh, about that on the interview. I wasn't listening. No, I, I, I wasn't. I, I was <laughs> yeah. eleven years old, Rafe. I had uh, two friends over for a sleepover, but the fight was su- considered such a joke that we didn't watch it, and we instead played a baseball stars tournament on Nintendo. But I do remember at like let's say twelve thirty, walking up from the basement, my dad was watching the local news. Maybe it was like midnight, and he was like, "Oh my God, you guys hear what happened?" And he goes, "Mike Tyson lost." And that pause of hearing that, of course, our jaws dropped. But in that moment, I'm thinking, okay, he probably got screwed on the scorecards. Probably going to be an immediate rematch. And then my dad goes, and he got knocked out. And then it was like, bump, 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 and lightning struck. And it was like, oh, my God, I need to see this. And I think like everybody else, we had to wait a week to see the replay. But life-changing moment, you know? I I, I made the JFK joke to Jeremy Schapp. He, he swiveled away from that, saying it's not comparable in terms of where where you were moments. But, uh, you know, in me, in, in, in a sports fan, that was giant. I, dude, people don't realize what Tyson was. They really don't. If you didn't live it, you don't realize that Tyson was the biggest thing in not just sports, but he was like a, a giant crossover celebrity. Like, on, like, giant, like, Kardashian levels. Like, this guy was, like, the biggest thing ever at that moment. Well, hopefully they will watch forty-two to one on ESPN this week, and and they will learn a little a thing or two so you're about saying that. You don't care. So you're saying you're not tuning in nine p.m. on Tuesday. You're not I'm a watch. I don't know if I'm watching. I'm not tuning in, but I, I'll watch it somewhere eventually. I've never seen you more cold. Take Bartholomew here, salty, angry. I mean, I mean, how how damn how dare you? Wow. All right, Rafe. I I, I thought this was going to be a jovial moment for you looking back on that. You know, Buster Douglas goes back to the dome. Reli- you know, the spot of the scene back. of the crime? Right. Hey, Rafe, do you care about boxing this weekend? Kind of a weird weekend. This this won't take long. Are you ready? I'm, I'm probably not going to care much. All right. Friday night, Corpus Christi, Texas. It's an ESPN Plus card, and it's headlined by a rematch. Gilberto Zerto Ramirez versus Jesse Hart for Turtos WBO Super Middleweight title. The first fight was kind of a mini brawl, mini, mini sleeper fun uh, war there. Do you care? Yeah, that's the thing. I didn't care about the first fight, and then I watched it, and it, and I and I I shorted it. I said, "Yeah, I was wrong." It turned out to be a really fun fight. Hart was competitive. You know what's too bad though? There comes the rematch, and I don't care again. So please prove me wrong, because I don't care, man. Neither of these guys strikes me as all that good, and so I look forward to them losing sometime. Uh, either one of them will lose, but I want, assuming Zerto wins this one too. Somebody beat him. Get him out of my life. Please, please leave me alone, Zerto. Wow. Do you need, do you have to use the restroom? Can you, no, I'm I, good. I I'm can good. produce Look, a bottle. You know me, for if you. I need to go, I will go right here wow. on the air. All right. I care about this fight. I think it's going to be fun. And I wonder if Jesse Hart Give me the hard sell. Look, if Jesse Hart, the, the Philly fighter, can make it a real sloppy brawl, he might have a chance to beat Zerto in here. And the first fight was fun and tough. Zerto's more skilled, but. I'm excited to see where this goes. Is it just going to be a fun rehash of the first one, or can Jesse Hart do something a little bit different? Give him the raw dog early, right? Slip in a, a, a you know, I don't know, what do they call those things these days? Right? Yeah, Jimmy or something? Slip in the uh, the hot beef injection. I'm not quick enough to the thing, but... Um, do you slip her the hot 
beef injection. Uh, you know, do that early. See what happens there. Uh, speaking of beef injections, Rafe, do you care on the undercard? Michaela Mayer versus Calixta Salgado. Eight rounds, female junior lightweights. We had Michaela on last week. I thought she was fantastic. I'm in on this fight. Do you care? I'm, I, I think I'm going to hold off until she gets up to fighting eight or ten rounders before I really put it in the care category. Uh, Jamel Herring versus Adelacian Dos Santos, eight rounds junior lightweights. I feel like Jamel Herring, them fighting Marine, is on like every single top rank undercard. Do you care? Remember, he used to be a PBC guy. I do. I do recall. I remember Shafikov sending him to hell, and I don't care. Uh, Roberto Duran Jr. versus Leonardo Pena, four rounds welterweights. Is that who we think it is? I guess so. Or it'd be a good, a good stunt name. Do you care enough to look it up, or not even to watch? No, no, no. no. No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, Saturday from Brentwood. No, not OJ's house. Brentwood, England, Rafe. It's an ESPN Plus card. Did not know about this. Ten rounds heavyweight main event. Daniel Dubois versus former Boxino champion Razvan Kojanu. Hmm. Do you yeah, care? I care a little bit. I like, I, I'm, 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 I'm curious about Daniel Dubois. He got a lot of hype coming out of the UK, talking about him like he's a, he could be the real deal at heavyweight. One of these guys who, who could be, uh, someone who inherits the throne when, when whoever among these Wilder, Joshua, Fury, Usyk group ages out, Dubois could be next. So I, yeah, I want to see that. There's only one real deal and that's Holyfield and the only real deal in the UK is. Tyson Fury is the real deal. Just remember that, Rafe. So don't be throwing that nickname around too loosely. I can't believe you could not care about Zerto rematch in a brawl or 42 to 1, the story of Buster Douglas. But you're like, oh, yeah, Dubois, Kojanu? Where do I, where do I tune in? <laughs> I, 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 you, I'm, you can't pin me down, man. I'm right. unpredictable. I'm shifty. All right, 10-round welterweight co-main, Bradley Skeet, Diego Ramirez. Skeet, skeet, skeet. Don't care. All right. It goes down Saturday at New York's Madison Square Garden. I'll be there. Will you be there, Riff? I will be there. I'll oh, there. get into zone, brother. It's a platform. Eddie Hearn giving money for Canelo on the platform. And you're going to see Canelo make his platform debut. 11 fights, $4 billion, whatever they're paying him. And he's going to move up in way to challenge Rocky Fielding. For the bootleg secondary version of the WBA super middleweight title, Canelo is still going by the, the the statement that this is a one-off riff at 168. Uh, your thoughts here? You, you, you in this? You care a little bit? What's going on? Yeah, I care. how can you not care? I mean, Canelo is one of the best fighters in the sport. I I appreciate him coming back so soon after that amazing. September fight with Gennady Golovkin, especially with his eye that probably still hasn't even healed. That's a little, that, that, that makes this fight sort of interesting. Maybe that opens up. It didn't really trouble him against Triple G. So how's it going to trouble him against Rocky Fielding? But who the hell knows? Things happen in boxing. I'm, 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 I'm moderately, I've got a moderate pump for this fight. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. All right. I'm down. I want to see, uh, look, Fielding's problem is he's not a big puncher. He's got long arms. He's going to have a significant height advantage here. He's just not a big puncher or overly slick, but he's a, he's a interesting dude. He's real, like, he's a real everyman when you talk to him. And he's got a kind of a cool story of a couple of years ago taking a vacation with his girlfriend to the city, took a tour of MSG, looked her in the eye, said, one day I'm going to fight here. Posted it on his IG account. 
Not bad. Do you think that? Do you think that he was just saying that to to get over on uh, yeah. with her a little bit? You know, he's just to get under saying, on her. Yeah. I think that was just. Oh, well, you know, whichever. However, he likes it. Uh, was that just a line, or do you think he believed? I I I think he was trying to. Uh... Yeah, I think, yeah, no, nah, it was a line. It was a line. Your... Uh, Rocky, let me, let me pour some water on your balls. <laughs> what's your name? What's your sign? Yeah, uh, wow. Uh, we did bring in uh, Al Bundy for his prediction on this fight. Uh, the Russian, I think, is is more to my liking. Which makes absolutely no sense. Um, So, look, Rocky Feeling's not going to win this fight. This is this will be like Ray Leonard, Donnie Lalonde. But the thing about Ray Leonard, Donnie Lalonde, when Sugar Ray moved up essentially to 168, Going up from, from middleweight there. No, no, actually, wasn't there like a light heavyweight title at stake in that fight? It was really like a, a real bootleg situation. Anyway, the key about that was that was a sneaky good fight. It was a war. Ray got dropped early. It kind of, you know, and then he had a manly brawl him and knock him out and, and finish him. I don't That's think what men like do. That. That's what men do. I don't think it's going to be like that. I just think Canelo's going to chop down that tree with hard body shots, which will bring the gloves down. And then he's going to go for hooks. And he's going to get a spectacular late stoppage. And he's going to look great. And Canelo will be a star on DAZN. And it will really come down to, can DAZN sign Triple G? And will Canelo be forced to make tough matchups from here on out? Or can he go, you know, I got Lemieux next. I got Jason Quigley after that. Or no, are you fighting Saunders and, and Demetrius Andrade? And you know what I mean? Like, we'll see where this goes. But it all starts Saturday, Rafe. Will this be a banger? I want your fight prediction. But I also want to ask you this. Will this be the kind of banger that DAZN needs to really pile on subscriptions? Like, this has to be a turning point moment early for them, right? Because everybody this week is going to go, oh, crap, Canelo's fighting this weekend. Oh, $9.99 in a free month? All right, I'll do it. Will this be the splash they need? Do you care? I don't know if it will be. It will be interesting to see. Uh, it's there. It better be. They need it, right? This is a bit. This this is a little bit of. It's not a make or break moment for the entire business, but this is the first big push. This is the they they need this to work out. They need a, a ton of subscribers to jump on. The same way that who knows if it's true, but but ESPN Plus reported that so many people signed up to see Manny Pacquiao fighting Jeff Horn. Uh, that uh, he did, that didn't happen uh, on ESPN Plus. Whatever Manny uh, Matisse, uh, that that fight earlier this year when Manny fought when when Manny beat Matisse, that was a nice bump for ESPN Plus. The zone needs the Canelo bump, and and they'll get something. Will it be enough? I don't know. That's between them and their subscribers. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's it's a good strategy. I don't. I, who the heck knows, man? We're never gonna get inside that black box for the fight. Yeah. Can I, and I'm hopeful that something is go, unexpected will happen and build the intrigue. We get a little bit of, uh, you know, Leonard Lalonde, you know, something to, 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 something to spice it up. I think that Canelo is just too good and he'll get inside and, and give us a, a very pretty body shot knockout, maybe in the fifth round. He better effing getting side on him. He better, he will. He doesn't even need anyone to tell him. We gotta get Joe Goosen back on the show. All right. I'm working on it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 wow. That's, that's a loaded statement. Uh, David Lemieux in the co-main. Toriano Johnson, 12 rounds middleweights. They're gonna bang. They're gonna bang, Rafe. Yeah, man. Hey, it's good. Uh, Lemieux's always fun. This is a smart, pretty smart golden boy undercard, right? I mean, Lemieux is, 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 this is where, this is what he's made for. You put him in the co-main on a, on a big card against a guy he's going to knock out, but it'll be fun. 
And who's unhappy with that? You know, get get John Duddy back, man. He might be down. Uh, I hope he's not, but he might be. He was a middleweight. Uh, yeah, shoot, that's fun. Let's do it. Yeah, Lemieux's going to win this. And does this get him Canelo next? Is this what we're doing? May Canelo Lemieux? I could see it. Look, I, I, I want. I would be interested in that fight too. I think he obviously Canelo eventually beats him and, and probably catches him with some sort of pretty. It might be a little bit like the the Kirkland fight where he's got a, a very aggressive guy in his hands and he just washes him. But shoot, that was fun to watch, and I'd watch it against a, an even bigger, more dangerous puncher. Did Kirkland never fight again after the Canelo fight? I don't think so, right? I think he he might have jacked out of a couple fights. You know, you know, there's, there's, he got black pills, man. You gotta you gotta give him you gotta give him some room. I'll never fuck. I won't jack. I'll be there till I can't breathe. Give me uh, the Angulo rematch today. Uh, Saddam Ali, the World Kid, Rafe. It's a good matchmaking. Ten rounds against uh, Mauricio Edeta, welterweight. I'm kind of in for this. Yeah, I want to see what uh, Saddam Ali is a good fighter. He, he sort of lucked his way into a belt that ultimately may not have been a, the the best thing for him because he, he doesn't belong at 154. But yeah, we need welterweights, man. Get him again. Win this fight. If he's still a free agent, go go fight Terence Crawford. I don't care. shoot. Give, get 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 some good fights. Get get somebody good fight Terence Crawford. Are you going to do that on the platform, or are you going to call up Bob? Because you know Bob, cer- certain people Bob doesn't talk to or do business with. You got to talk to Mister Cancer. I mean, what do you, you know? Will Bob well, and Oscar is, work? Is Ali? What's Ali's promotional status right Golden now? Boys. Is he in the DAZN stable? Yeah, Golden Boys on DAZN. Oh, he's gold. He went full golden. Why don't Saddam Ali? There's always that story about him running his own career. This, yeah, that, that was really whatever. Don't even answer the question. Nobody cares. Uh, do you care about this prospect, Virgil Ortiz Jr. in a ten round welterweight junior welterweight bout against Omar Tienda? I feel like I've. I, I don't care yet. I'm sorry. I think I've seen him fight, and I, I know some people like him, but shoot, I, it, it, not quite on my radar in that in in, in like a I care kind of way. Um, I don't care a ton. But I'll be there. I'll watch it. Tevin Farmer, Francisco Fonseca for Farmer's IBF Junior Lightweight title. There's a lot of fights in a short period. Tevin Farmer trying to make 2018 be his best year ever. You care? Yeah, I mean, it's a championship fight. Well, I, Tevin Farmer's story is good. He's a guy who sort of, you know, learned on the job and has turned himself into a real good, slick fighter. Went, won, the, won a belt on the road. Yeah, I'm, I'm in on the Tevin Farmer story. And you know what? I hope that that dumbass with the stupid beard in the UK, John O'Carroll, that guy needs to shave number one. That is ridiculous. They let him fight <laughs> with a, with this in, like beard down to his belly button. Uh, and, and he's calling out Tevin Farmer, calling him names, P head, all kinds of stupid stuff. Watch him go mess around with some racist stuff. I can see it in him. And wow. I, wow. I'm sorry. You could just tell, you could just smell it on some of these guys. Um, and, and on top of that, uh, he, he just had a draw with some freshman nobody heard of. What is he calling out titleists for? Tevin Farmer, beat that man up too someday. Wow. This guy is trying to shoot some bombs. Wow, Rafe. Uh, do you know the guy he's fighting is Francisco Fonseca, the guy who lost to Tank Davis on the uh, Maymac co-main, remember? Yeah, I remember that. I remember. I that fight was like remember. at 130. This guy's moving up to to. Uh, no, that's one. Isn't that 130? That was 130, and then this fight will be at 140. He's moving up two weight classes. No. Yeah. Man. Oh, you're right. This is junior lightweight. I'm sorry. My bad. My bad. I'm sorry. I take that back. I'm way off. All right. Hey, Katie Taylor's back, Rafe. She's going to defend two of her women's lightweight titles on this undercard against Ava Wallstrom. You'll be there. I'll be there, man. I'm watching. Conor McGregor will be watching. Oh, shoot. Let, let, let's crack open some of that dad whiskey of his. <laughs> 
And Ryan Garcia, King Ryan, yeah. right? he'll be facing a lightweight bout 10 rounds against Braulio Rodriguez. Why is he so deep on the card, man? Make this man a star. Balls deep on the zone, yes. That's too deep. It's too, hey, I want, this is I his want first him fight and... with uh, Edison, uh, Eddie, Eddie Reynoso, Canelo's trainer. Eddie. Oh, that's right. Yeah, look, if that look, if Ryan Garcia can improves because he's got some nice tools, right? I mean, that guy really. I, you, yeah, you, know, I mean, you have this. to go into the DMs to see. Yeah, I haven't. I have not received any images of the tools he has, besides the ones that have aired on public television or platforms, streaming apps, Facebook, everywhere he fights. But um, nah, I, look, that hand speed, some good quick reflexes. If the Reynosos can do a good job with him, make him a better fighter, then then maybe he'll be more than a guy we make stupid DM jokes about. That's true. That's true. Uh, Saturday, Rafe, at Christchurch, New Zealand. Ten rounds heavyweights. Joseph Parker. Remember that guy? Versus Alexander Flores. Do you care? Parker fresh off two defeats. Bad 2018 no. for Parker. No, I don't know who that man he's fighting is, and I don't care. Parker dropped the decision to Joshua in March and came back and lost that decision to Dillian White in July. That was kind of a weird fight. Fun fight. That 12th round was underrated round of the year. That was. Contender. That was. Uh, okay, you don't care. All right, there's a bounce back. There's a home game for him. Anyway, Saturday from Hamburg, Germany. Caro Marat, yes! We'll finally get that fight with uh, Steve Smoker that he's wanted. No, uh, against Sven <laughs> Fornling. 12 rounds light heavyweights. Do you care? Uh, man, I, 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 I know, but I do have that little chunk of my heart for Carl Marat because, you know, he, he, he's in one of some of, some of Steve, Steve Smoger's great, greatest moments getting slapped by Steve Smoger for being yeah. a little too handsy with Bernard Hopkins. <laughs> Speaking of handsy, kind of related, um, Christian Hammer, the heavyweight's going to fight Michael Wallace, 10 rounds in the co-main. I don't know a lot about Christian Hammer. Do you? Nope, nope, I nope, say handsy because nope. Christina Hammer, the one who they're building up to face um, Clarissa Shields, was uh, ringside at HBO on Saturday. Did you see um, – you know how Tom Loeffler on Twitter does those weird hour-long videos from the track with, like, Dougie Fisher and stuff? Mm-hmm. Those are – I, I, I got to catch every single minute of every oh, single well, one Christina of those Oh, Christina Hammer persons. was the special guest this week. They took her to the track. Oh, how did I miss meet. that? Yeah, and she she talks a lot about her life and stuff. It's it's. Uh, I was wondering if she's related to Christian Hammer. Oh, you know what about them? I can say I think about them. Um, that you mentioned their lives. I don't care about right. their careers. Hammer I don't care about their people. Don't care about their lives. Hammer uh, knocked out David Price two years ago, and he also got knocked out by Tyson Fury in 2015. You don't care. Okay, Rafe. Um, we're almost done here. The co-main on that. Sorry, the the opener. Jurgen Bramer, Pablo Daniel Zamora, eight rounds light heavyweights. No, no, no. Don't care. Okay. From Toronto on Saturday, Samuel Vargas. You remember him as a PBC uh, fall guy? He's taking Are we talking a... about Sam, Sammy Vargas or Samuel Vargas? Samuel Vargas. The one that, that Danny Garcia took to, sent to hell. Okay. Isn't uh, that the guy? Didn't he just fight Amir Khan? Yes. He's taking on Adrian Gabriel Pereiro. 10 or 12 rounds. Your choice. Junior welterweights. Uh, I choose to not care. All right. And finally, Rafe. We got a title fight in Kiev, Ukraine. Hi, my boxing fans. It's Artem Delakian versus Gregorio LeBron, the king. 12 rounds for Delakian's WBA flyweight title. Do you care? Uh, not until he appears on Superfly will I care. Oh, wait, there will never be another HBO uh, Superfly card. Sorry, I don't care. 
LeBron, Rafe. He's taking his talents to, to the Ukraine. That's, All right. I, naturally. Hey, weird show this week, but special thanks to our guest, Jeremy Schapp, Ben Hauser. Hey, uh, programming alert. Going to have a special bonus interview episode of the CBS Sports Boxing Podcast later this week. Keep your ears peeled for that one. We're going to have Canelo Alvarez, Rocky Fielding, and a Oscar De La Hoya, Bernard Hoppins, a bunch of fun names. Maybe David Lemieux talk about his dating life. We're going to have a lot going on in those interviews as I head down to the Cité this week to go one-on-one with everyone on that. Dazin car, days in the zone. Get in it, Rafe, this Saturday. Get fired up. You got anything Yeah, else? I, I will care about that podcast for sure. Oh, how dare you. Uh, wow, weird episode because Rafe was just so damn salty. I never saw this side of you. I mean, I've seen you, uh, I've seen you speak it, believe it, it, relieve it, but this was, uh, yeah, nothing. I don't know what you're talking about, man. I'm here. This is just me. I, I, you know, I, I, I what, what do you mean? You would call me a clown? No, no. And it's just, you know, it's just like, why do you, it's like, why do you have to act like that? Hey, man, don't be a blank. You know, hey, you're really gonna act this way. You're really gonna be buffoonish. You can be buffoonish in your house, but not in the Dwyer household, Rafe. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm out of the, I'm out of the Dwyer household. I'm, I'm banned for a week. Alright, big episode next week, guys. Teddy Atlas. Just want to put that out there, alright? We're a big fan of the show, of Teddy, of, uh, I care, all that good stuff. Um, you got anything else, Rafe? You want to sell anything? You got anything else? Oh no! Don't need it. We sold earlier. You want to? You want? You want to? You want to take us home? All right. Um, shout out to the Irish crew. Shout out to everybody. I uh, hope you like this episode this week. You have a problem? Turn off your station. All right. All right. Um, and you know that's it. We out. <laughs> <laughs>